And now, more tips with your host, Rebecca, on lifestyle improvement. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Hello and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca. Today we have with us Dr. Martha Herbert. Dr. Herbert is an assistant professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School and pediatric neurologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she is the director of the Transcend Research Program. The Transcend Program was initiated to explore possible abnormalities in the brains and bodies of children and adults with autism spectrum disorders. She also received the first Cure Autism Now Innovator Award and is the co-author of the book, The Autism Revolution, Whole Body Strategies for Making Life All It Can Be. Hello, Dr. Herbert, and thank you so much for coming and speaking to us, the listeners of Lifestyle Improvement. Your book, The Autism Revolution, has been called a remarkable book written by a brilliant scientist in easy-to-understand language, and a book that offers hope and practical guidance to heal your child's body system. What was the moment when you decided to write The Autism Revolution? Well, it's funny. I um, was asked, I was invited to write The Autism Revolution. Well, I was invited to write a book about autism by the assistant editor or associate editor of the Harvard Health Publications. And it's an honor to be asked to write a public-facing book from them because it gets peer-reviewed and it gets the Harvard Medical School seal on the cover. Um, And I actually hesitated a lot because I had a lot of other things to do and I was working on some research. But I finally decided that if I didn't do it and someone else didn't do it, my message would not get out. And I thought it was really important because I take the subtitle of the book is Whole Body Strategies for making life all it can be. And in particular, I had some things I wanted the public to know about, about how the body affects the brain. And I think the most unique part of my book is chapter five, where I bridge from body problems that are so common in autism, and actually, to be honest, many other people, and the brain problems, and how the body, when you have inflammation, or energy problems, or not enough antioxidants or a variety of things, you predispose the brain to having glitches and it doesn't work so well. But the good part of that is there are actually really things we can do about that. And I wanted that word to get out. Did you feel that there weren't enough books out there at that time that were addressing some of the issues you were talking about right now? I totally felt that way. I mean, there are a lot of the, and also on the research side, there are people writing books about how to heal the body in autism. And there are people writing books about how to work with the behaviors. And there are people writing books about how people with autism have integrity integrity just the way they are. I think, or something like that, but I think everybody has a piece of the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the linkage across these different levels is often not made. Like the behavior people, don't necessarily understand about the body. The body people don't really connect that well with how it, how the brain is involved or the behaviors work. And the people who say that there's a cultural integrity to being autistic don't realize how much more comfortable people can get when they take care of their health. Correct, correct. And also, though, taking steps like you did 
when you wrote that book, takes a certain level of experience, because you do mention your patients, knowledge base, and also some courage, because it is a little innovative, correct? It is innovative. I mean, at that point, four years ago, it was pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. And now it still is, but not as much. I mean, right now, the whole public who, the, the, the reading public knows that we have a microbiome problem. Four years ago, when I wrote that book, four or five years ago, they, that wasn't something that people really were knowing. There weren't all these bestseller type books out talking about that. Um, there's a lot more understanding of the problems with the standard American diet and things that we need to do about it. So these things are really shifting the discourse. And actually, I could rewrite that whole book and have it be for everybody. I actually have on my website, I have 10 tips for, for um, helping your loved one with autism. And I recently rewrote it for 10 tip, as 10 tips to build body-brain resilience. I actually have a new clinic called Body Brain Resilience Center, mm. which is taking the principles that we talked about in the book and applying them to autism, but also head trauma and other neurodevelopmental conditions and also people who want to get pregnant and want to make sure that they're healthy enough that they don't pass problems on to their children. So much of it, like you said, is was part of your experience as a practitioner. Actually, in your book, you state, and I quote, the more I worked with my patients, the more I realized I had a choice to see what I believed or to believe what I see. If I believed that autism was a genetically determined lifelong brain impairment, then I would have to deny to myself the extraordinary capabilities and changes I saw in my patients. That is a significant statement. It is extraordinary in itself. How did you get to that conclusion? And you can there expand a little bit more on your experience and some of the cases that you saw. Sure. Well, I have seen a lot of patients, both of my own, patients of friends of mine, patients uh, or families I've met at conferences where... The situation started out pretty dire, or there was a regression into it being pretty dire. And then people were very motivated and creative and made, made every constructive choice that they could. And now you see children who are in special ed being in college and high-level high universities, some of them, and you know being much more stable it's not like everybody gets all the way to a full so-called recovery, but there's a lot of improvement that goes on. So I've seen it a lot. In fact, I'm working on a movie right now called Documenting Hope, www.documentinghope.com, where we will be tracking recovery, the efforts to recover 14 children with seven diagnoses, autism, allergies, asthma, uh, ADHD, juvenile or idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis, uh, obesity, mood issues, because what we feel is that under the surface, the nutritional, the metabolic, the immune, the environmental challenges are really, really similar. And the path to healing is not as disease specific as the medical, the conventional established medical system seems to think. Mm -hmm. And I actually just yesterday had a scientific paper published 
analyzing all of the genes that were known about autism about a year and a half ago, and we dumped them into a database to find the gene pathways in which, which had the most genes associated with autism, and then looked at how they re, the pathways related to each other. And it's the first pathway-pathway map, an interaction map in autism. And what we found were incredible linkages with other kinds of health conditions too, including cancer, some heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, with core molecular processes that are known to be really biologically fundamental being impacted. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshops, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All these could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible, unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com and discover how we can help you help yourself. Caregiversurvival101.com or call 877-957-7387. That again is 877-957-7387. So this data set that we generated using very standard measures and not adding any assumptions was consistent with what I and others have been saying, which is this is a multi-system condition, that it has common features with other conditions, and that environmental issues may be important. In this paper, it came out as genes that were involved were are involved with processing information from the environment, environmental information processing. So that paper just came out. It's free online in Public Library of Science 1, PLOS 1, PLOS 1. And it's just a click away, Herbert Autism Pathways, and you'll find it online. So I'm really thrilled about it because all of my clinical experience is supported by this. But when you have a paper saying our very genes are supportive of a whole body set of strategies. That's really great. And, you know, so in Documenting Hope and in my clinic, we're all trying to collect, not only get people better, but to collect evidence that this works so that we can raise the standards of care and the expectations to a much higher level so that you don't just have to accommodate what people believe is a fixed disease. Like when I said, do I see what I believe or do I believe what I see? If you believe too strongly that this is a, high, a lifelong, fixed, hopeless thing, you won't perceive 
the evidence of the capability to improve. But if you see what you believe, that there are things that you can actually help with and that people do get a lot better, then you'll see a whole different landscape. Absolutely well said. And two things I get out of that. When you talk about sensory processing immediately, I think environment being a a big factor there, of course. And then the many cases that you experienced and that you saw yourself. So you have empirical data because you were part of this process as you saw the changes. In your book, you talk about one of those cases in which the change in the diet uh, made such a big difference. The four-year-old with the genetic I believe so, yes. So she, yeah, I mean, I know who that kid is. I've met her and worked with her and, you know, and it's just that we had to change the names like Sure. And and these people were all willing to use their own names, but the lawyer said no. (laughs) So uh, they tricked us. But uh, she was a girl who had a mutation Mm -hmm. that is associated with having autism. And she was also nonverbal and she had a lot of diarrhea and she was tired. The genetic counselor said that all of that was because of the mutation and there was nothing you can do. But what we found was that she had genes for celiac disease meaning that she was either already diagnosable with celiac or we might as well remove the gluten from her diet now so she wouldn't get it in the first place. And after a number of months of being off gluten, the diarrhea stopped. Hmm. And she started talking some, although it was a little bit repetitive and so forth. Really interesting was that at some point she got croup and, and got some steroids for just a few days, like five to 10 days. And during the time she was on steroids, she, her language became much more fluent and spontaneous and, and richly expressive and descriptive and interactive. When the steroids wore off, that went away. But what it said to me is that the capacities of the brain are in there. They're just obstructed. We're not looking at a broken brain. We're looking at a brain with blockages, with obstructions that sometimes can can rise to the occasion of doing better. And so what you want to do as an objective, a goal of your treatment strategies is to clean things up as much as you can so that that higher level of functioning has less and less in the way of it just coming out fully and spontaneous. And, And another way I like to talk about it is bandwidth. You know, on your phone, you have these five bars. And on four or five bars, you're pretty good. You just talk. Three bars, there's a little this, a little that. Two bars, you're really struggling. And one bar, forget about it. Mm-hmm. So I think of our brain function as, like, as being like bars. And when you clean up your diet and remove environmental insults and, and exposures that you don't really need, when you stop using household chemicals to clean your house, when you stop spraying your yard, when you start learning how to eat whole, whole organic, biodynamic foods, the body is so much more well-supported that it really, really has the resilience and the resource to produce more elegant, rich behavior. Then would you say that the autism revolution Is it a shift in thinking to a whole body approach for autism? Is that what you would say it is? Well, I would say yes. Number one, it's a shift to a whole body approach. Number two, it's a shift from seeing the brain as hardwired 
to seeing autism or other neurodevelopmental or psychiatric things as what the brain produces when it's challenged. And when you make the body healthier, the level of challenge and obstacle in the brain starts to go down. You can see changes pretty quickly in some kids who may stop, you know, who may start to make eye contact or start to babble if they weren't talking pretty quickly. And what you want to do is continue on that path so that they continue to improve and my slogan for that is make every choice a healthy choice. Mm. That's a fundamental lifestyle improvement, lifestyle optimization approach, because right now we're in a planet that's falling apart. The weather is messed up. It's toxic. All kinds of things are becoming more and more unstable. And it's, we need to keep ourselves as healthy as we can with all our voluntary choices, because there's a lot of things we can't control so easily. So be nice to your brain. Be nice to your body and your brain. You know, another thing that I just want to zoom out for a minute, mm -hmm. I actually think of autism as what is happening to the brain and little kids who get it. That's from the same things that are changing the climate. Mm -hmm. It's really all the same problem. And I put that on my website, marthaherbert.org, mm -hmm. that I no longer think you can understand autism inside autism. You have to put it in the broader context of other chronic illnesses that are on the rise, of the environmental stressors and of the, the global problems we're facing. And we need to clean all of these up. It's really important that uh, these kids are, you know, the expression canary in a coal mine. In the coal mines, when the air would go bad, they would take these canaries. And when the canary passed out, they knew they had to get out of there because the air quality was going down. And that is huge because it puts some responsibility in different places, doesn't it? It really does. And I think that, you know, we've been lulled into complacency, that thinking that somehow the authorities have tested everything and the regulatory agencies are on top of everything. But we're learning how much conflict of interest and corruption there is. So we have to make sure that we read every label and we think about every choice. And we don't assume that mommy and daddy in the government and regulatory agencies have our interests as first and foremost. So we have to, you know, and I'm, I'm really happy that there's a movement for more real whole food for people moving away from eating food out of boxes, for having the, the, the way our food is grown, cultivated, pastured, whatever, with the evolution and the, the nature of our bodies, our organisms, we've changed everything around so much the last period of time, especially since World War II and then before that industrialization. And I don't think these, these changes were really about optimizing health. They were really about building an economy. My question on this is, you know, we talk about then the organic foods and all of those things, but then we know that those products are more expensive than the majority of the people can afford. The people that are not able to afford all of this specific foods that are probably better for the body, are they more vulnerable to being exposed and having to suffer some of these illnesses? I think they're, they're vulnerable both because they can't afford it and because they've been turned into junk food junkies 
by a, a predatory advertising industry. And they, they're actually, many people who are poor are also closer to traditional parents and grandparents where there were food traditions brought from other countries or other cultures that actually are a lot healthier than what they're buying in the packages and stores. And they could actually go back to a lot of their traditions and eat more cheaply. I mean, if instead of buying pre-packaged tortillas, you make your own rice and beans, you're going to save a bunch of money. Because one of the reasons they package up this food is to put a gigantic markup on it. So I really encourage people to talk to their grandparents while they still can and learn what the food traditions were. Or if not, try and find people in their culture who understand other ways of eating or maybe didn't, you know, who, you know. And then the other thing is in, in poor communities, it's a terrible, there can be a terrible, these things, food deserts, where they're just these convenience stores, which don't have much in the way of real food, no produce no fruits and vegetables. Now, the Environmental Working Group is a really wonderful organization, and they have to, to look at environmental influences. And they have these, these two lists that you can get online, the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And they help people without so much money save money on vegetables because the Clean 15 are the top fruits and vegetables that have the least amount of pesticide. And the dirty dozen are the ones that if you don't buy organic, you're kind of guaranteed to get a big load of pesticide. So I think it's useful for people to learn these things because then if you don't have that much money, but you do have a little money for organic, you save it for the dirty dozen. And the clean 15, you just buy the conventional stuff if you don't have any more money than that, but you're still getting real fruits and vegetables not stuff that's been turned into something by a factory. Right. So screen it as much as possible because the easy button is a costly button in other ways, correct? No kidding. And people get cancer and they don't need to get it. I mean, cancer is not something you're destined to get. It's something that that it builds up over long periods of, of not optimal choices. You know, I I have some, when I give PowerPoint talks, I have this slide about a paper um, about diabetes and and it was an editorial or commentary in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is very prestigious. And the title was very clever. It said, what's preventing us from preventing type two diabetes? So they talked about a study where they compared the very, very common diabetes drug metformin with diet and exercise changes to see for people who were pre-diabetic, how many of them would not convert into diabetes if they were on either metformin compared or, or lifestyle intervention. So they found that while metformin prevented 31% of conversions into diabetes, diet and exercise prevented 58%. And that's really big. And then the article went on to say, but why don't we do this? And it's because the whole funding structure doesn't fund life coaches, lifestyle coaches, and that we really need to have that kind of level of support because you don't need a doctor to teach people how to eat right and do more exercise. But I have to tell you one more piece of this story. I gave a lecture down in Texas and I, I gave grand rounds and I gave this story. And this woman during the question period stood up and she said, you know, 
She said, I was, she said she was a, an investigator in that study. And she said, you know, the dietary intervention was pretty weak. A lot of people didn't do it and various people dropped out and we still got 58%. Imagine if it had been a really good diet with everybody doing it. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyle.com improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation lifestyle improvement occupational therapy we're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed Lifestyle Improvement Radio is now online. Listen to our interviews at your convenience by going to www.lifestyleimprovementradio.com. If you like what you hear and would like to hear more about a specific subject, send us an email to producer at lifestyleimprovement.com and let us know what you think. Support our sponsors and let them know you heard about them at Lifestyle Improvement. Thank you for tuning in to Lifestyle Improvement today for part one of our interview with Dr. Martha Herbert. Dr. Herbert is an assistant professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School and a pediatric neurologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she is the director of the Transcend Research Program. She also received the first Cure Autism Now Innovator Award and is the co-author of the book, The Autism Revolution, Whole Body Strategies for Making Life All It Can Be. And don't forget to join us again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part two of our interview with Dr. Martha Herbert.